0: In this episode, we continue our conversation with Adam Loewenstein. Get excited because this is Tiny Leaps, Big Changes. Big, big changes. <music> Welcome to another episode of Tiny Leaves, Big Changes, where I share simple strategies you can use to get more out of your life. My name is Greg Clunus and in this episode we continue our conversation with Adam Lowenstein. Adam, of course, is the former Senate speechwriter and communications director. He's also the author of the book Reframe the Day. And in part 1 of this conversation, we covered a number of topics like meditation, productivity, and how to build stillness into our lives. And in part 2, we are continuing that conversation and tackling topics like the actual how of this, the the, the process, the practice of reframing our days. This is going to be a super good one. But if you haven't listened to part one yet, I highly recommend that you do so. Just listen to the previous episode of the podcast. And before we jump into part two, let's take a look at today's sponsor. I really struggle with sleeplessness. I used to just lay awake staring at the ceiling for what felt like hours. But ever since I started taking a CBD oil, my body and mind can finally relax and I can get a great night of sleep. The world of CBD, though, can be pretty confusing. And that's why I recently switched over to feels, the CBD that's a better way to feel Better. The team over at Feels makes the process of trying CBD as simple as possible. Feels creates a high-quality CBD tincture that is a natural aid for problems like stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. And their customer service is top-notch. It allows them to offer a 100% free CBD hotline to help you with any issues, questions, or concerns you might have. So, are you ready to give it a try and start feeling better? Become a member today by going to feels.com slash tiny leaps and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's feels spelled F-E-A-L-S dot com slash tiny leaps to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping feels.com slash tiny leaps so let's talk stillness how do we how do we actually make that time for stillness for being with ourselves? and once we do make it what do we actually do like what is stillness how do we actually do that
1: great questions um, let me share three different techniques that are by no means perfect solutions to finding stillness or making time for stillness. See, I did it right there. I need to correct myself. And so, there's three that I talk about in the book. One is something that my dad calls Tuesdays to write, and he's a um, ER doctor. He teaches at medical school in Colorado, and he is inundated by all sorts of requests from um, you know patients and colleagues and students, in addition to all the other work and priorities that he has in his life. And he wrote an article about 10 years ago called Tuesdays to Write. And it was inspired by finding time to think on an airplane or in a hotel room um, when no one could be knocking on his door and asking for a few minutes of his time when his phone wasn't ringing. Um, It was almost like a forced separation from the rest of the world and all the distractions and incoming requests that come with it. And so he said, you know, block off four hours, say, on a Tuesday morning, every morning, and make that time unavailable for walk-in meetings or requests or phone calls. Actually, literally block it off on your calendar. Um, You know, make it, you know, I would say make it a to-do list item so you actually have it prioritized. Um, And then one of the benefits of having that time set aside every day or, you know, every week is that if on Friday you wanted to do some deep work say to paraphrase you know to use the phrase of cal newport but you didn't get to it you know you have time already blocked off next tuesday and you have to protect that time Um, a related concept is one that george schultz the former secretary of state under ronald reagan used to call um, or one of a columnist who wrote about it called a schultz hour and this was before the social media era before the internet age you know this was in the 1980s and For one hour every week, Schultz blocked off an hour on his calendar and said, no one can interrupt me unless it's my wife or my boss, and his boss was the president of the United States, so you would hope he would take that call. But other than that, you know, no one for that one hour a week, that was his time to think about the larger issues of his job. And I think he he described it as, you know, if he didn't have this time, he would get swept up in what he called moment-to-moment tactical issues. And even if we're not all Secretary of State, we all are going to get swept up in the moment-to-moment tactical stuff if we don't proactively carve out time for it. Um, And one other one that I'll touch on really quickly is what Cal Newport, the author of Deep Work, and a bunch of other really um, impressive and, for me, influential and transformative books, calls a productive meditation, which is different from a classic meditation, but it's similar in the sense of um, you, you know, you come back to your object of focus when your mind wanders, and he says, you know, take a walk, thirty minutes, and focus on one professional problem or challenge, um, which I would expand to say, you know, you could just need to brainstorm a gift for your partner, or think about what you want to get at the grocery store if you're going to be waiting in line for three hours these days before you get in there. Set aside one thing that you want to think about. Don't put a podcast in go out, go for a walk, leave your phone at your house, and just focus on that one challenge and just think. So that's he calls it a a productive meditation because you are, um, you know, it's not mindfulness, you're not focusing on the breath necessarily, but you are trying to bring your mind back to that one particular challenge when it inevitably wanders. So it could be a Tuesday to write, it could be a Schultz hour, it could be a productive meditation. The, the thing that ties these all together is that it's something intentional, it's something proactive, and it is something that you customize to your particular circumstance, um, your particular situation. It could be five minutes every night with your phone on airplane mode and a blank document in front of you just to do a brain dump of all the little things that were bouncing around in there all day. You know, there's no right or wrong way to do it um, except, you know, to make it a priority
0: Yeah. And so once you've made it a priority, you get it on your calendar. It seems like all you do, you actually do in that time is just not allow yourself to get distracted. Focus on whatever it is you're focusing on. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I would say it is. And I would even go further and say that if you do get distracted, then go with it and see where it takes you and and cut yourself some slack. If your mind does wander, um, I think this is, you know, one of the principles of, and I'm not an expert on Buddhism or mindfulness meditation by any means. And there's a theme throughout these chapters of not being an expert on any of these things, but sharing what's worked for me and my own experience. Um, and, you know, one of the 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 things that I found most transformative about thinking about meditation is the fact, again, that it's a practice. And when I inevitably get distracted and realize that and come back to the breath or whatever my object focus is, I not only try to forgive myself, but see that as a success because I've noticed my thoughts wandering in my mind, losing touch with whatever I was trying to focus on. I've come back to that object. Um, and so rather than seeing that as, oh, I'm distracted all the time, I say to myself, look, I noticed I was distracted, and I call that a success. So I would say a moment of stillness or you know time that you have carved out to think, if you do get distracted... It's different from a meditation where you're trying to come back to the, the problem at hand. Maybe that's your goal, but maybe your goal is just to give yourself time to be distracted in a way that your normal, you know, the rest of your life doesn't make time for. I think, you know, you you are a creator yourself. You know that sometimes the best ideas come to you when you just let your mind wander and you don't have anything else that you're supposed to be doing and you've given yourself that permission to let your mind wander and you see where it leads you and, you know, all of a sudden something you read last week connects with something you just saw this morning. And you have an idea for something you want to talk about on the podcast or something you want to write about. And those are the moments that are you know just as valuable as just having time to think.
0: Yeah. And I, I would say that at least in my experience, those two moments have been one in the same Uh, in the sense that I don't think I've ever had any good ideas when I try to sit down and think about good ideas. But when I do give myself the space to think and actually block off that time, remove distractions, but within that space, allow my mind to wander, that's where the ideas tend to come from.
1: I totally agree.
0: So how you mentioned earlier, how long have you had a meditation practice now?
1: For me, it's been about three and a half years. I started it in the fall of 2016. Um, you know in I think September of 2016, which I I mention and I remember specifically because November of 2016 for a democratic political staffer was a bit of a transformative month. Um, and I was very glad to have had my meditation practice um, during and around the election and then certainly in the months and years that followed. So
0: how meditation is something that, myself included, uh, my audience have tried and failed at over and over and over again. Uh, just in terms of building the habit and routine of it, what advice would you have for someone who knows the value of meditation already, but just has not been able to, to keep going with it?
1: Yeah, I, so I think... That And I've struggled with this a lot myself, and I try to capture some of this struggle in the book. Um, For me, I have tried to teach myself and remind myself that there's not necessarily any way to fail at it. And at the very least, the way that we often think of failure when it comes to meditation, which is either that we get distracted in the middle of a meditation session, or we just aren't able to get the habit to stick for whatever reason. And we only do it a couple times a month here or there. The fact that you come back to it, that is a success right there. And there, I believe it's, um, Dan Harris, the author of 10% happier, who has a podcast by the same name. Um, you know, who's become a big evangelist for the power of meditation. Um, I don't know if this is his line or if he was inspired by something else he read. Um, but an idea that he talks about in his book about seeing meditation as a bicep curl for the brain rather than something, you know, a productivity hack or a habit that we have to do and that we fail if we don't do. If you think about it in terms of physical fitness, you know, we try to go to the gym every day, but if you don't go today, then, you know, you try to go tomorrow. It's the same thing with a mental exercise like this, a bicep curl for the brain, as he calls it. And so, I try to see every time that I come up short as, you know, if if I don't go to the gym today, I might feel bummed, but I'm not going to give up on working out for the rest of my life just because I missed one day. I'm going to just try to do it again tomorrow. And, you know, that combined with this, you know, this classic saying of if you feel like you don't have any time to meditate, you know, if you feel like you don't have 20 minutes to meditate, then you really need two hours. Um, Not everybody's going to be able to make two hours, but it's the same idea of if you... You know, the more you think you don't have time for it, the more, you know, you might really benefit from making that time and seeing where it takes you. But again, I think it's all, there's no right or wrong way to do this. It's all about kind of forgiving yourself when you inevitably screw up, as we all do, and then coming back to the practice. It's, it's sort of like a meta meditation itself. Just, in, just with mindfulness meditation, you know, you get distracted, you come back to the breath. With the practice itself, you know, you get off track, you try to come back, get off track, come back again, and then keep doing that forever. There's no point where it's finished. It's, that's, you know, that's why they call it a practice.
0: Yeah, so it's almost like the the practice of meditation itself is a meditation.
1: Yeah, and I, again, I've been doing this for three and a half years. People do this for a lifetime and are still looking for answers. So I certainly claim no um, inside information or inside secrets here. But one of the things that is, has helped me a lot is trying to do one minute a day if that's what it takes to to keep the streak going um you know there there are times that i've realized right before bed that i forgot to meditate that day and you know i'll do five minutes as i'm falling asleep or i go out to a restaurant back when that was a thing that human beings could do go to restaurants (laughs) and see each other and ancient times it is it's it's, you can barely remember (laughs) how how it worked and you know i realize, oh, wow, I, I should meditate. And, you know, I go to the bathroom and I stand in the bathroom stall for a minute and just focus on the breath. There's no, again, no right or wrong way to do it. Some people might disagree, but the way I've been able to stick with it is by forgiving myself when I screw up and just trying to keep doing bit by bit. You know, like you say, one tiny leap a day and, or every other day, if that's what's more manageable for you. You know, the, as people say, the what you the, the habit that is sustainable for you Even if it's, you know, less than you would like to do. If it's sustainable, then that's the one that works for you.
0: Yeah, something I've been uh, talking about a lot lately within my community is the need to build more empathy in our own goal setting. Recognizing where we're coming to something from the limitations we are facing for it, uh, and not minimizing the value of doing something and showing up, no matter how small it might need to be, given where you are.
1: I think that's a really important point, and it's one that I struggle with a lot. And I this is the forward I mentioned earlier that I published on Medium a few weeks ago uh, to accompany the book, or uh, the book's release when I basically, again, went through every chapter and said, here's where I'm screwing up on everything that I've preached and written about. Um, I have tried, mostly unsuccessfully, but, you know, you keep trying again every day to cut myself some slack when I'm not productive all the time, cut myself some slack when I don't do all of the self-improvement habits that bring me so much value every day. And one of the tensions I explore in the book, but, again, have no solution to, is this tension between self improvement and self indulgence because there are so many habits that or attempted habits habits in progress that i have found an enormous amount of value in whether it's meditation or reading every morning or trying to make more time for to consume content that i really get a lot of value from or any number of things that give me value these things take time and we all have other commitments and obligations in our lives and we have people who count on us and there is a tension if we spend every day every minute of every day focused on these self-improvement activities that we love and that we get so much out of that doesn't leave necessarily any time to support the people who are around us to engage in you know a political cause or to campaign for a candidate or an issue that you believe in there are So there is this constant tension between spending time on these self-improvement practices and then you you could go way, way to one extreme and only focus on hacking your own life and body. And then you can go way, way to the other extreme and wear yourself out fighting for a cause or working all the time and not spending any time on your own health and well-being. And so there is this constant tension that I think we all have to navigate. And it's really important to feel that tension because it keeps us from being pulled too far into one extreme. And just very similar to that is this idea of, you know, you want to push yourself and challenge yourself to do better and set big goals that, you know, are achievable but also aspirational. But at the same time, you got to cut yourself some slack if you don't achieve them all the time. And I don't think there's any solution here. It is always going to be this tension. We're always going to be on this roller coaster going back and forth and, you know... There's solidarity in that because everybody else is going through it too. Um, but there's, you know, there's only peace to be found by giving yourself a break. It's not giving up. Uh, it's not surrendering. It's simply not putting any more suffering, you know, day to day self-imposed suffering. I'm talking about here, on yourself than you absolutely have to, because life is hard enough as it is. So why beat yourself up for, you know, on top of all the other challenges that we all face day in and day out.
0: That's that's absolutely brilliant, Adam. So the book is called Reframe the Day. Uh, we have one more segment here called Five Tiny Questions. But before that, uh, tell us where we can find the book. And as I understand it, you're doing something pretty interesting with the profits of the book. So tell us a little bit about that as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now I appreciate the chance to plug the book here. Um, and let me give a bit of a roundabout answer to that second question. So to this very topic we were just talking about trying to figure out how to balance something that we really love, which in my case is writing and reading and thinking about these ideas and self-improvement with what we feel we should be doing, which for me is getting back in the political fight, trying to make a difference in the world, trying to do a little bit of good here and there and think about the world beyond myself. It's navigating that tension. And as I was lining up to publish this book when i set the publication date at the end of april i had no idea that you know a global pandemic was on its way but here we are and at first i was pretty dismayed by publishing a book this thing i worked on for so long you know my suffering of releasing a book in the middle of a global pandemic does not even come close to the suffering and grief and pain that so many people are experiencing but nevertheless i was bummed that this book was coming out when it was um And then I started to realize not only do I think the ideas in this book um, come to people at a time when they're reimagining their priorities, when they're rethinking what matters to them, which makes it an opportunity to reach folks with the ideas in the book, but maybe just releasing the book and making a little money off of it is a chance to do some good as well. So that very roundabout story brings me back to answering your question, which is that all of the profits from pre-orders and from book sales from here on out are going to support charitable causes and organizations. Um, Right now, all of the funds that I receive from the book, all of the profits are going to the global organization, Direct Relief, which is doing, which has always done amazing work around the world, dealing with international and national emergencies and crisis response and taking on poverty and all sorts of deeply entrenched challenges. And right now they're doing some amazing work around the world getting PPE and other critical supplies and equipment to places that need it the most. So all of the profits from this book are going to direct relief. So my hope is that not only can people benefit from the ideas in the book, that would bring me an enormous amount of joy if these ideas can resonate with people and make a difference in their lives, but at a time when we are all looking for an opportunity to try to help out, to try to do a little good, and we all feel So helpless. We're just in many, you know, for many of us, we're just sitting at home reading the news, getting stressed out, and feeling like we should be doing something. Buying a book is, you know, this book is not Harry Potter. It's not going to be able to single handedly fund an NGO, but buying this book sends a little bit of money to a good cause in addition to hopefully giving you an interesting story to read. So head to reframetheday.com. That's my website. You can find links to buy the book on all online booksellers, print and ebook. Um, hopefully you'll support indie bookstores if you can. Um, you can find me on social media. I'm bro with a cat on Instagram. On my website, you can find links to Twitter and LinkedIn and all the other stuff. But. Um, reframe the day is the book reframe the day.com is the website.
0: Absolutely love that. So real quick here, five tiny questions for you. Some of them a little silly, some of them a little bit more insightful. Uh, the first one is what is your preferred writing utensil, a pen or a pencil?
1: Ooh, I'm definitely a pen guy. And let me add to that and say, I want to be a paper and pen guy, but I'm ending up being a digital guy. And I, speaking of tensions that I'm wrestling with, that's one.
0: What is your number one recommended book besides your own?
1: So one on in this self-improvement space is Cal Newport's Deep Work. There are not too many books. I think we all remember those moments when we read a book and we realize we're in the middle of a transformation. I think one of those most amazing things about reading is encountering something that you'd never thought of before that absolutely blows your mind or just puts into words something that you had felt deep down inside or had some subconscious inkling of but hadn't really articulated and a book puts it right in front of you and you have that moment of clarity and inspiration. Um, For me, Deep Work was that book. It completely transformed how I think about um, spending my time and how I make more time for the type of work that I find fulfilling. And I know you've had Cal Newport on the podcast before, Um, so deep work in the self-improvement sense, and then on the broad topic, on a much broader topic of forgiveness and justice and empathy and tackling historic challenges and systemic failures is Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy, which I think just was made into a movie that came out a few months ago. Um, It might have been longer ago than that. But it's just amazing story of Brian Stevenson, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. And that is another one of those books that not only um, changed the way I see the world, but also just taught me so much about empathy and forgiveness and how hard these things are. You know, it's a lot easier to talk about forgiveness than it is to actually practice it. Um, so there's so much in those deep work and just mercy.
0: Awesome. Uh, what is the... Uh best or most valuable habit that you've developed?
1: Meditation is the one that I think has probably transformed my life in the most significant, but also the the least disruptive sort of way. It's just one of those things that hasn't changed my life overnight. But I realize, and I think, as I think about it now, it taught me about the concept of awareness and self-awareness in a way that I now can't imagine seeing the world any other way. But I did for the first time you know, 29 years of my life. So I think mindfulness meditation.
0: Okay. What does your morning routine look like?
1: Morning routine is one of those places where I try to practice that forgiveness and give myself some space to not get it right every time. But for me, getting it right is waking up early, meditating, drinking coffee, and either reading or working on a writing project of some sort. And my hope is that if I can do those things every morning together, you know, maybe 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, if I'm lucky, then no matter what happens in the rest of the day, I've spent some time on some things that really, really matter to me. Um, so everything else on top of that is just a bonus.
0: Awesome. And then last question here. What, Who or what are you most grateful for right now?
1: One thing I realized when I was writing Reframe the Day, and again, this comes back to this idea of I write to figure out what I think is, in a lot of ways, it's actually a love story. And I will leave it to readers to see what they make of that as they get through it. But, and there's so many ways to find love in this world, but for me, the person who has transformed my life more than any other is my partner, Aaron, who basically opened a door that I did not know I was capable of opening towards basically feeling feelings, and allowing myself to go into the unknown um, in a way that everything else that I write about in the book has followed from that. Um, Hopefully the book articulates it a little bit more clearly, um, but the entity that I'm most grateful for is my partner Aaron.
0: It's wonderful. So the book is called Reframe The Day. You can pick up a copy at reframetheday.com uh and as a reminder when you do that the profits from that purchase will be sent to charitable organizations uh, because Adam's an awesome dude and he's trying to help the world. Um, Adam, thank you so much for being here. This was a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And for those of you listening, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Again, I encourage you to head over to reframetheday.com. Check out the book. Check out Adam's other work. I've been Greg Clunas. Be sure to click subscribe wherever you are tuning in. And if you haven't listened to part one yet, I don't know why you started at part two, but go back and listen to part one. I've been Greg Clunas. Thank you so much. And remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day.